What are the top global threats today, and how are organizations responding to them? How should they respond to them? Hi, this is Tom Field, I'm Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. It's my pleasure to be speaking today with James Lyon. He is a Director of Technology Strategy with Sophos. James, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's just talk a little bit about the scary numbers. I'd like to hear a little bit about the volume of threats that you see on a daily basis. It's a pretty astonishing figure today. I actually, I remember when I used to go into work kind of five or six years ago, and you'd, you'd see numbers like 6,000 pieces of malware a day, and you'd be like, oh, you know, that's, that's terrible. How will we ever deal with this volume of malicious code? So it's kind of incredible that today, you know, I look at the statistics, and on average, we see 250,000 individual new pieces of malicious code every day. Just a, a mind-boggling volume of malware. It's also really interesting how it's getting distributed, how that can kind of break the kind of conception, you know, people's ideas about, about malicious code. About 30,000 new websites get hacked every single day. When you actually do the maths on the distribution, it's about one every kind of second. And contrary to popular belief, it isn't adult sites, gambling and the like that are distributing it. About 80% is legitimate businesses, mostly small businesses, which are getting hacked and distributing malware to their customers. Staggering numbers. So I'm going to ask you, James, what's the technology vulnerability, particularly for the small to mid-sized organizations, that's making them accessible? It's, it's a series of different attacks. One of the most popular is referred to as SQL injection. What's interesting is it's a vulnerability that's been very well understood for many, many years, and it's, it's actually relatively simple to fix the majority of those hacked websites. But... The big problem is people have, I suppose, a lack of understanding of secure coding practices. Often many universities are not teaching those principles to their students. Um, in fact, in some regards, it's gone downhill from years previous. And so people just aren't kind of getting ahead of the curve and implementing stuff securely, getting their websites hacked making mistakes. It's, it's a simple lack of communication between security experts and the rest of the community that's allowing it to propagate. Not clever high-end attacks, but the basics being done badly. Okay, we've talked about the volume. Let's talk about the types of malicious code you're seeing out there and the quality of it. We have quantity. Is it quality as well? Yeah, it's, it's a, an interesting challenge. You start talking about these 250,000 pieces of malware and people go, oh, you know, that's staggering. Clearly, you know, they must be reducing in quality. I mean, all those people sitting there writing all that malware, naturally, computers are being used to generate the majority of that malicious code. The cyber criminals have developed an astonishing black market of tools and services to make it easy to generate massive volumes of very high quality malicious code. So, for example, we take one of the market leaders in this area at the moment, the Black Hole Exploit Pack. It's a Russian criminal gang produced hacking toolkit that will generate malware distribute malware, track the efficiency of said malware, and manage your access to it so that you can hit lots of systems and compromise them en masse. It varies between $700 and $2,000 to purchase a license of it, and it even comes with technical support in case you have trouble setting up your legal hacking server. So the ease of use is making it trivial for even an insider or someone who's less technical to get their hands on, should we say, nation-state-grade attacks. 
Now, in the past, we have been sort of blown away by the technical skills of the cybercrime community, if you will. My sense is that we're being blown away now by the business skills. Right, right. It's, it's, it is kind of staggering. I mean, I've seen amazing innovation in technology over the past four or five years, and I continue to be surprised every few months if someone comes up with something clever. But the very active theme, in particular, I guess, over the last 18 months, very much recently, is that commercial mouse. For example, we're seeing referral models where cyber criminals will take these toolkits, set up a company, and they will pay other cyber criminals a fee for each computer that they compromise. We're seeing instances where criminal gangs will hack tons and tons and tons of systems, collect usernames and passwords and credentials, and then they'll sell them on a black market to a vertical specialist that kind of focuses on exfiltration or making value from a certain kind of data, maybe military, medical, or alike. Pretty scary, potentially, if you get into the terrorist segment there as a point of concern, although so far, much of this is more commercial. I mentioned already you know, technical support, documentation. Some of these guys are even running cloud services. And if I may say so, generally doing a more effective job than most businesses and governments are of the same piece. So it's a hugely professionally organized black market uh, today. And that breeds more innovation of the technical sort as well. Now, offline here, you were telling me about some of the conversations you've been privy to watch among the criminals <laughs> arguing over techniques. Can you share some of that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. We, we sometimes get to, to sit in these forums and you know, pretend to be part of the criminal community and see you know, technical support discussions or debates on how to attack a certain system. And I remember this, this one particular discussion, it was translated from Russian, where it was these two criminals arguing over at what time of day they should access the system they, they'd kind of acquired access to. And one of them was saying, well, let's go in, you know, in the middle of the day, there's going to be lots of network traffic, um, it's going to be hard to spot us because, you know, there'll be all these users doing all this stuff, refreshing, accessing the internet. The other guy was saying, no, 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 it's a terrible idea. You know, the system administrators, the network guys will be there. Why don't we wait until it's, you know, past midnight and it's much less likely the help desk is going to pick this up? And they kind of went through an active debate uh, on, on which was a better attack strategy. They, I, if I recall correctly, opted to uh, attacking in the early hours in the end, I suppose assuming that the incident responders would be either dreary or just not present. You see, I was going to suggest they probably would have to do both. Mm. <laughs> yeah, fork attack, try both, you know, buy multiple accesses. That's another interesting trend in, should we say, more targeted attacks of late. The mainstream cyber criminal hits systems, steals credit card data, banking information as quickly as possible, and just continues, doesn't really care. A targeted attacker gets access and takes their time spreading around the system. We're seeing the length of time over which systems are held kind of in a, in a compromised state extending massively. And it's not uncommon for the attackers today to gain access to a system and to go after collecting usernames and passwords for other users in the network. And this represents a really interesting challenge for us in security because the past 26, 27 years of our industry has primarily been focused on spotting bad code. Whereas now, we may have to spot a user 
logging in that's a legitimate user with legitimate credentials is actually a cyber criminal coming to do bad stuff. The security policy and the granularity of monitoring for that is wildly different from the more black and white, good and bad world that we were conventionally used to. Now, typically we talk about the actors. We're talking about nation states, we're talking yes. about hacktivists, we're talking about cyber criminals, we're talking about insiders even. A point you made earlier is a collapsing of the, of the actors, right. if you will. Could you explain that? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting to map all these different actors out, and of course it's still pertinent to kind of assess the potential interests of each of those groups and what they may go after. Some will be more relevant to other businesses and less, less to others. But from a, an attack technique perspective, we're seeing a massive crunch in the techniques they use. I, I theorize that that's occurring primarily because of this hacking as a service industry, the ready distribution of tools that make it trivial to launch high-quality attacks. I mean, why roll your own stuff if there's a utility there that does the job well? If you're um, an insider with lower knowledge or a script kiddie, uh, as we kind of historically like to call them, you get your hands on one of these tools and you've got the same technology as a hardened cyber criminal. If you're a nation state, these tools give you plausible deniability. You look like mainstream cyber criminal gangs. So we're seeing a huge focus on the use of these tools and very, very similar techniques, which does represent an opportunity for us because at least we can potentially deal with multiple groups' attacks through a very similar set of security mitigations. Uh, so I wouldn't stop you know, analyzing who your potential attackers are, but I'd be wary of classifying an insider or a script kiddie or a hacktivist that you irritated as potentially a low-tech attacker. The tools are too good. Let's talk about a couple things. One is, what can organizations be doing? We know they don't patch. We know that users don't update. We know that there are known vulnerabilities out there. What can they do to better detect and prevent some of these um, these infiltrations? So, so, I mean... It's going to be difficult to answer all infosec, uh, all, all infosec problems in a, in, a, in a short segment, but some key pointers. If I, if I look at the majority of incidents that I've been involved with, where it's gone wrong, dropped in to try and you know, sort it out, we look at data from some of the big breach reports. In most instances, it isn't a new, clever zero-day or super-hacking technique that's involved. It's recycling something old. I mean... If you look back to the first Java attack, it actually first focused on, uh, of the recent spate, I should say, not ever. <laughs> it focused on a bunch of defense companies. But within three to four hours, it was rolled into the black hole exploit pack. It was being used everywhere. 30, 40, 50 days later, people are still getting hit with this vulnerability for which there is a mitigation available, numerous mitigations. So whilst it's really tempting to focus on the high-end, sexy 1% attacks um, that you may hear about in certain publications and the like, actually, 99% of the stuff is about doing the basics really, really well. Don't forget things like user awareness training. I mean, look at um, the APT1 attacks. Um, I mean, a huge number of those were caused by essentially simple social engineering. You know, funnypix.exe. Don't click me. Everyone immediately clicks, of course. <laughs> That's how it goes. So user awareness, 
And from a technical control standpoint, don't put your eggs too much in one basket. Take it from someone that makes security technology. There's no 100%. I like to think of this idea of an attack as a chain. You've got the initial reconnaissance, you've got the scanning, you've got the exploitation. They log onto the box, they start attacking accounts, they start spreading around, they start stealing data, even phases after that in the use of the data. You only need to catch them at one stage to tear down that attack. And there's been too much focus in the industry, just those early stages, not the latter sections. And that's reflected in how people deploy their security technologies. So think broader, protect each of the layers, don't limit yourself to just you know one or two operating systems. You think broad and protect each point, and you have a much better chance of dealing with these kinds of attacks. Okay, clearly organizations aren't creating any sort of a deterrent for cyber criminals. But we've got an issue that's greater than that within the global community. There's not a lot of incentive for cyber criminals to shut down. What do we need to do as a community to make these to prosecute, to punish, and to create a deterrent. It, it, it is a huge challenge. Even when we get to the point where we actually have enough data to say, look, here are the guys, here's what they've done, you know, screenshots of their faces and the like, it can still be incredibly difficult to even get to prosecution. There was a, a case with the Coopface gang where, in the end, information was published online because law enforcement just simply couldn't get it pushed through. So despite all these wonderful cyber conventions that we have on an international basis between different countries, the reality is most laws in this area are national. And the internet is really not that national. It's borderless. We also have the challenge of visibility. The minority of cases we get this interesting information, and most we never get to hear about it. Most businesses don't report. And that's because most data breach notification laws focus on stick not on carrot. I, I could say in the UK, for example, that I know a lot of businesses that would choose to only report in the event they know that they're going to get caught out publicly. Because otherwise they may as well keep silent. The reputation damage from a breach far outweighs the losses from the individual attack. And the result of that is death by a thousand cuts you know, at a, an economic level of a country and internationally in making cybercrime pay, which is you know, exactly what you said. It's so true. We need to come up with a way to allow reporting that is focused on the objective of identifying cyber criminals, identifying trends, not a punitive system of hitting companies for getting hit by that you know, 1%, even if they did the job effectively. I think we need serious reform in the legal landscape. We need to seriously look at the speed of development here versus internet technologies. We all, as an international community, need to come to the table collectively. We can't do this in small patterns. Um, and we all need to be prepared to be far more hostile in prosecution of known offenders. It, I mean, in closing on that point, if you think of, of the internet, there's, there's a wonderful saying I, I really like from Margaret Atwood, which is this idea of freedom to and freedom from. And as you fluctuate between either end of the scale, you compromise security or privacy. They're not truly at odds, but, you know, there's shades of grey at either end of that spectrum. At the moment, that pin is being moved dynamically by technology providers, countries, all kinds of different parties. Maybe we need to choose a stance specifically 
that enables us to make life much harder for cyber criminals, but without truly compromising the privacy that enables the great innovation that we have on the internet today. So it's clear we're not doing a good job of it. Fixing it, that may take a little longer. That'll be our next conversation. Oh, only six months from now, we sorted. <laughs> James, thank you for your time and your insight today. My pleasure, thank you. I've been talking with James Line, he's Director of Technology Strategy with Sophos from Information Security Media Group. I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.